0: I'm Ava Hartling, welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, women entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Today, I'm continuing my witch series, and my guest in this episode is photographer Frances F. Denny, whose work investigates female identities. She has just published a book titled Major Arcana, Portraits of Witches in America, which documents a diverse group of people who identify as witches. This book is an exploration of contemporary witchery told through striking photographs and short, inspiring texts written by the subjects themselves. Frances' work from this book is also on display at the Salem Witch Trials, Reckoning and Reclaiming, an exhibition currently taking place at the Peabody Essex Museum. Frances herself is a descendant of one of the Salem trial judges and of Mary Bliss Parsons, accused of witchcraft in 1674 and acquitted by a court in Boston. In this conversation, we explore what it means to be a witch and what it means to practice witchcraft in past times, and today in 2021. We also explore what makes the witch such a unique female archetype. Here is our conversation. Frances, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today for a very special episode. I'm excited to speak with you.
1: Thanks, Ava. I'm thrilled to be
0: here. Um, I want to start by asking you, and of course, we're, we're going to be talking about witches today. But uh, first, I want to go back in time and hear about your journey um, and maybe start by asking you growing up, what did you think you would be doing later in life? And did you already have a kind of an inclination that you might be doing something connected to the arts or to photography?
1: You know, not necessarily. I was never one of those people growing up who always sort of knew what their destiny would be or what they wanted to do when they grew up. Um mm-hmm. when I graduated from college, I went to work in a sort of blue chip art gallery in the in Chelsea in this neighborhood in New York and mm-hmm. um you know, thinking that I would want to work in the art world in some capacity but not really knowing uh, how I wanted to do that, I was not so happy at that gallery and um, didn't last very long. But it did help me sort of realize that this hobby I had had since high school, you know, photography, was mm. was something I was actually pretty serious about. And 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 so then I sort of set my course from there. I assisted other photographers. I took more classes to sort of fill in gaps in my knowledge. And then after about five years, I went to graduate school um, and earned my MFA in photography. And so that's sort of how how my trajectory went. But no, I was not really one of those people who has always sort of known that they wanted to be an artist.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And when you started working, um, how... How did it feel to be a woman in the world of photography? And I'm curious to know if you, um, you know, ever experienced gender bias, you know, specifically around your career. Um, you know, how did your uh, how, how did you be, being a woman basically kind of, uh, you know, shape or uh, contribute to, to your experience as, a, as a, a photographer who was just starting out?
1: Well, you know, there are so many different kinds of photography, right? You have art photography, you have photojournalism, you have wedding photography, you have food photography. So it's such a, it is quite a diverse kind of landscape. Um, and in my sort of small sector of, of, for lack of a better sort of term, like fine art photography, um, I wouldn't say there was necessarily um, a sort of a gender bias built in, other than that, you know, in the art world at large, there's definitely, you know, a bias and you can see that with, you know, how many women are getting collected by major institutions or exhibited in museum shows. So that, you know, if that's, if that's the kind of, um, you know, metric that we're going by, then of course, yes, absolutely. There's Mm -hmm. bias, but, you know, I did absolutely experience it and still do on a sort of smaller scale, kind of microaggression, right. Where um, in school I would have, um, you know, people who I was like renting darkroom equipment from who um would ask me if I knew how to use that piece of equipment. You know, I remember oh, renting wow. like, oh, I don't even remember what it was. Some some gadget, right? And and the 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 guy running the the they call it a, a digital cage, you know, was like, oh, are you mm-hmm. sure you know you don't need a tutorial on that before you take it out? That's a really expensive <laughs> lens or whatever it was. And I just remember, you know, okay, my classmates or my male classmates are not really getting that level of questioning when they take out their equipment but it's also happened to me on shoots you know photograph I do a lot of portraiture and and you know photographing someone on the street and a a man typically it is a man comes up to me and um will sort of get in the midst of the shoot and like either start interacting Mm. with my subject Or I've had people tell me that they own the camera that I'm working with. They'll say, oh, I have that camera, you know, and it's like, okay, congratulations. A lot of people have this camera. Mm. Um, And
0: thanks for interrupting me,
1: (laughs) meanwhile. (laughs) So, yes.
0: Yeah, I, I, well, that's, yeah, I I, I mean, I'm, I I can't say I'm surprised, but that's, it's always uh, fascinating to hear. Uh, and of course, there's the question of the value of women's art as compared to men's art, right? And the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the premium that's placed on art created by men and somehow women's art is always undervalued and that yeah, continues to be a huge gap today. Um Absolutely. And while I'd like to talk about your first book and I'd love to know about, um, you know, first of all, what got you inspired to uh, to even work on a book. And I'm curious to explore and hear a little bit more um, about the, well, the inspiration for that book. And, the, you know, it, it's, I think the common theme between your, your two books has to do with women. And clearly there is, uh, you have a, an interest in exploring all things feminine. Um, so I'd love to hear about Let Virtue Be Your Guide, uh, which was published in 2015. Uh, and then, uh, I'm curious to see how that led you to your second book and then we can get into our, our topic of witches.
1: Absolutely. So, just to take a step back, I would say, you know, as an artist, you're absolutely right. I'm thinking about from project to project, a similar kind of theme, right? I'm thinking about the Mm -hmm. ways that women are taught to be women. Simone de Beauvoir once famously wrote, right, that one is not born, but becomes a woman. So I'm interested Mm -hmm. in looking at that sort of essential idea that there is something learned about how to be feminine, to be female to be a woman. So each of my projects sort of looks at that central preoccupation from a different standpoint. And my first book, Let Virtue Be Your Guide, sort of took on the it from a, a more personal standpoint. So through mm-hmm. the lens of the family, my family, I come from um, a, a New England family, I grew up outside of Boston and in this series of images, which are sort of documentary in nature, they're portraits and interiors and, and sort of found still lives, I'm really looking at the way that many of my female relatives embody femininity and the kind of particular traditional buttoned up um, version of womanhood they embody. And I think doing that project was sort of a way for me to kind of put my finger on that version of femininity for myself and um, to perhaps gain a little bit of sort of critical distance from it. Um, so yeah, that that's really where, where Let Virtue Be Your Guide came from. And I, I stole my title from a, well, I adapted it from the title of an exhibition in, I believe it was 1982, of Colonial Girls embroidery samplers. Oh. So for those of you who don't know, these embroidery samplers were these didactic learning tools that young girls and women would embroider with the ABCs, with sort of pictorial de- depictions of um domestic scenes like homes. And there would always like flower, very flowery, but there would also be like pieces of scripture. And on one it said, let virtue be a guide unto thee. And so I got hmm. really Hooked on this idea of virtue. What is female virtue? What does that mm. mean, and how has that word kind of um, changed over time?
0: Mm. Would you be able to share something you learned or discovered through working on on that first book, uh, or you know, around the concept of femininity, and and maybe even how it possibly altered your view of the concept, and you know, generally speaking?
1: I think that it helped me like I said, sort of pin down the version of femininity that I come from. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we, when we grow up in a certain world, it's the air we breathe in, it's the water we're drinking. It seems normal, but it wasn't until I left Boston and went to New York for school and, and to live that I sort of realized that that version was really specific. And, um, and I I wouldn't go so far as to say unique because there's something deeply traditional and American about about that kind of um, version of womanhood, but mm-hmm. it felt like one that I needed to kind of get my arms around and and try and see uh, through my camera with a with a greater degree of maybe
0: objectivity. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, and then of course, I want to ask about your second book and um, curious to know if, you know there was, and and I, I, and I believe it was inspired or it started with work that was part of a, an exhibition that, that you put together first. So there you know, there was work before there was a book project. Um, so I'd love to know about what put you on the path to witches.
1: So actually it started with my first book when I was looking at this culture that I come from in new England, I did a pretty deep dive into looking at my family tree and there is this document that my father compiled, um, a long time ago that details my family ancestry, um, quite aggressively. And I made the, the discovery that, um, my 10th great-grandfather was a central judge in the Salem witch trials. Wow. And coincidentally, that my 8th great-grandmother was accused of witchcraft. No, she oh, wasn't in wow. Salem, but it was about 20 years prior to the Salem trials in Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm. But that coincidence really struck me at the time as, um, as, a, as a resonant one and one that I couldn't, uh, quite reconcile for myself in the moment, and and perhaps that it would even sort of um, warrant its own examination. So I kind of mm-hmm. filed it away. I completed that series, that book, and then several years later was reading a fabulous book, which is called um, The Witches, Salem, 1692, by the historical biographer Stacy Schiff. And, of course, was reminded of this ancestor of mine because he's, like I said, a sort of central character in the story of the Salem Witch Trials. So Mm. this ancestral coincidence um, sort of came flooding back to me. And it was this time of year, I remember, and I was seeing Stacey Schiff speak at, I think, I forget where it was, somewhere in the city in New York. Um, And I, I started thinking about the witch as... An archetype, right? It's a word that has traveled through time yeah. in many different guises. You have um, the, the 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 Spanish Inquisition, in which people around Europe were accused of witchcraft and sort of burned at the stake, right? You have the Salem Witch Trials. You have the Brothers Grimm fairy tales of the kind yeah. of old hag living in the woods, preying on children. Um, and then you you have you know the Disney version and the Wizard of Oz the green skin hooked nose wart yes. at the end of the nose kind of character mm-hmm. and it's so it's this word that has traveled through time and has acquired quite a bit of baggage and I just got really interested in the witch as an archetype mm-hmm. um, and realized that like there are people who I think have. Have come to this word and have have um, have start, like have practiced modern witchcraft. What is modern witchcraft? This was kind of the jump, jumping off point for my project to kind of answer the question: You know, who is a witch today? Who does that word belong to? And what does a
0: practice of witchcraft actually entail? Mm. It, that that is so interesting and i love obviously the fact that you know it, you not only do you have a witch in your family tree but you have somebody who was responsible for mm-hmm. uh leading witch hunts and uh unfortunately c- condemning women and, and and men who were uh, found guilty of witchcraft um does it feel do you feel that you have um kind of a connection to these ancestors of yours and I'm probably asking more in um, your what was it, your eight grandmother, um you know, mm-hmm. who was found guilty of witchcraft herself. And I asked that because, uh, having read um you know different different books around uh, not only uh, Kennedy, kind of uh, the, the historical uh, side of, of witchcraft, but also reading about, um, you know, women who feel that we have a certain type of intergenerational trauma when it comes to, uh, you know, pretty much anybody who comes from a European background would have a witch at some point in their lineage or uh, somebody who knew somebody who was tried as a witch. And it's very much part of, you know, our our, our unique personal and family history. Um, so wondering if you felt that personal connection as, as part of that discovery.
1: Mm. So I think it's important to remember um, that the people who were accused of witchcraft in Salem and, and before that, frankly, would not have identified as witches themselves. This was right. a word that was used against largely women but not exclusively um, to to women but people living outside the status quo or um or perhaps it was you know your neighbor who had a better apple harvest yes. that that year <laughs> than you so it was for any sort of sort of reason um this was a word that was levied against people um to invoke hate and fear Mm -hmm. and and violence ultimately in many cases so the the word was incredibly powerful but it wasn't powerful in the way that I would argue it is today because the the people today uh who who identify as witches have reclaimed that word from this really shadowy place personally you know on a personal level you know i do think about my great 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 grandmother her name was mary bliss parson's and um you know and the ways that she was i mean i could go into more detail about her story if you're interested but she was um she there was a jealous neighbor of hers she had many children she was sort of um very fortunate in that regard and her her neighbor was not many children at that time would die in childbirth or shortly thereafter, but right. this neighbor was really unlucky in that in that way and was envious of mary and um and so at the so the story goes is that that was sort of why she you know jealously sort of condemned Mary to this fate so mm-hmm. Mary was later acquitted she went to trial in Boston was acquitted but you know mm. yes to be to be descended from somebody who had that fate is is heavy it's also very heavy to be descended from the person the oppressor in the story you know and I think they you can't really I can't really separate the two to be sort of descended from both the oppressor figure and the oppressed um I think those both need to weigh sort of equally heavily Mm -hmm. in in my mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And and you're absolutely right to be making that distinction, right? And in fact, many of the, well, it was both women and men, but many of the people found uh, guilty or or the ones accused of witchcraft were not in fact or never, you know, were not practicing any type of, uh, you know, witchcraft or other you know satanic uh, uh, modalities um and i think my 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 question had to do with more about the concept of women specifically being witch hunted throughout the centuries right and as you pointed out usually because they dared being different or they dealt with somebody who was envious or jealous or, you know, felt in competition with them in some way. Um, And I think it's interesting what what you bring up with witches today who have kind of reclaimed that title. Uh, But I think today we still have the two types of witches, right? Because it still feels like women are still persecuted and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, found guilty of a, a number of things. So that That concept of, uh, you know, using, accusing women of doing something wrong and then putting them on trial um, has, you know, it it may have shifted. It may have changed. We may not be calling it uh, witch hunts anymore, but it's Mm -hmm. still taking place. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And scapegoating and double standards where women are accused of things that men wouldn't be. Absolutely. All of those things. This season of the Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect your workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. So I'd love to hear about starting to work on the photo project uh, around Mm -hmm. witches. So How where where did you start and how uh, how did you find your first witch basically?
1: Yeah, so once I had sort of figured out what I wanted to do, um, it was no easy feat doing it because I was such an outsider to the world of modern witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So what I did was write a letter that was basically an artist statement talking about my ancestral connection and my sort of intention for the project, and I sent it to. A handful of women that I already knew who I had a kind of hunch about or intuition, you could say, that I, I thought they would sort of understand what I was getting at. It was scary, frankly, to be emailing people asking them in so many words, you know, are you a witch? And do you want to be photographed (laughs) within this, you know, photography portrait series as a witch? Um, but much to my amazement, they very quickly sort of jumped on board and got excited about it. And we did the photo shoots and the interviews and, and then they in turn, um, introduced me to people that they knew who also identified as witches in in different capacities. And very, very soon, after I had maybe a critical mass of 10 or 12 people, I had witches coming out of my ears. I mean, you should have seen <laughs> my my inbox. It was like this vast network that spanned, you know, across the country of people who I would be sending this letter to and getting connected to their friends and their coven mates and et cetera. Um, so it became this pretty large web that grew up around me. Um, so like, it you know, it's not very sexy to say so, but it was almost like this networking endeavor, I have to say. Um, and then I also did aside from through, you know, getting referred by people that I had photographed or knew, I also did some scouting at witchcraft festivals and Mm. occult books, bookstores or shops around the country. Anytime I went to a new place, I would kind of hit up the local occult shop and, and do some scouting there. Um, and then also on Instagram too, but it was, it became really apparent to me quite early on that the landscape of American witchcraft is incredibly diverse and that my photographs needed to represent that diversity really faithfully. And I don't mean diversity just in terms of, say, ethnicity or belief system or type of witchcraft being practiced, but I mean it in terms of geography, age, um, body type. It really, I knew that the photographs needed to reflect all of these um, multi-dimensional ways that um, so many different kinds of people around the country were embodying this word witch.
0: Mm. And uh, so who are those witches? And um, w- and, and I'm sure there are uh, kind of, you know, common patterns or shared beliefs. Um, how, how would you describe them? And, and how did they describe themselves? So what I realized was
1: that, you know, there was no one way to be a witch. There's mm-hmm. no perfect definition it's a gray area it's not black and white and that's that's frankly what i really like and i'm continually so interested in it it's this um murky mutable identity so while you could have i photographed several you know wiccan individuals Mm Wiccan high priestesses and Wicca is a neo-pagan religion. There are many sects of of Wicca, and there they can be quite prescribed, like specific, you know, initiation rituals to um, get sort of go up the r- ranks. Isn't the greatest word to use, but um, right. to sort of enter into a, a Wiccan coven. But um, but then there, it is. It can be the the idea of which can be extremely self sort of defined and individualized. So it could be, I mean, I met people who identified as green witches, you know, they were herbalists or used plant Mm. magic. Mm -hmm. I met um, sex witches, you know, who used their their work as sex workers in a way that they thought of as a kind of witchcraft. I met space witches, hedge witches, gray witches, all of these different types of of ways of thinking about this word and embodying it. Um, and I just wanted to point out that I, I use the words she and female and, and woman when I'm talking about the witch, um, but that's sort of because of the historical association of witch and woman. And, um, but within the confines of my project, uh, there are, there's a much more of a spectrum represented. Um, So there are women, but there are trans individuals, non-binary, genderqueer people. So I just, uh, I, I just wanted to point that out. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, the thing that that I think many of them had in common was that they were drawn to witchcraft as a way to find a kind of agency or internal power or Mm -hmm. a, a way of kind of cultivating an internal power and whether or not that power or energy was sort of used in a reflexive internal way or was sort of directed outwards towards others then say, a, a healing capacity or a healing modality. Right. It didn't matter. It was this kind of conjuring of something inside.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. I'm curious to know what was the reaction of, you know, people around you when you shared the work you, you were putting together. And even as the book came out, you know, and, and the question behind that for me is how, how are witches perceived today?
1: I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's hard for me as as someone who's been working, I've been working on this project for, for three years, I shot it for three years and I had to constantly remind myself that people didn't have the same, um, degree of sort of nuance that I was acquiring about this word, "witch." and to most people, they had the same old sort of baggage that, um, that I had first come to it with. Right. So you think of like the, the, Brothers Grimm or the Disney mm-hmm. or the Bewitched so like the jokey kind of version of this um and so when I would there were so many sort of you know gatherings or dinner parties where people would ask me what I was working on I would say oh well, you know I'm working on this project photographing witches around the country and they would I mean snort with laughter like people didn't understand what I even meant mm-hmm. and I and I understand and I understand why because it is this this word that, um, has not been given, I think, um, a sense of sort of dignity or hasn't really been looked at anew in a really long time.
0: Mm. And do you think, how can we, you know, how can witches get, um, and I, I don't want to pass judgment as I as I pose this question, but how do we get witches to be taken seriously? Or, um, you know, is is it time for witchcraft to be accepted in the mainstream? Because it does feel like there is that continuation of, you know, the, the belief that uh, witches are a bad thing. And I think usually it would be pretty much any, anybody who, who's afraid of a woman who owns her power and who stepped into her power would be somebody who's against witches, obviously. Um, so how, you know, where where can that shift happen? And I think I clearly see a parallel with, you know, and, and many parallels have been established with the feminist movement, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, so I, I knew that I wanted to photograph these individuals with a lot of dignity and to also give them a hand in how they were represented. So I did that in the way, the sort of methods and technique that I use in photographing them. So I would always ask them to choose the location of their portrait session and also what they wore. And then um, when I went to do the book, we did um, interviews in which they contributed what became these short essays in the book and then in the exhibition that's currently up. And that was really important to me because as an outsider to this world, the witch world didn't mean just another outsider to sort of come in and objectify them in imagery and and you know sort of say goodbye. I wanted to be, I wanted to give them the platform to also be a part of their own representation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a way that, you know, hopefully this representation doesn't is not a joke. It it is um, more nuanced than a kind of caricature version of, of who the witch is. mm
0: mm-hmm. and, and while I love that your work is currently on display in Salem, of all places, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. so the, the work was selected to be shown um, at the, uh, the uh, Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, uh, how did that happen, and how does it feel to basically have come full circle, you know, with your, with your kind of connection and, and, you know, and lineage, um, even though it wasn't uh, specifically in, in Salem, um, in, in the case of your, of your grandmother, but, uh, close enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a dream come true to have my work at the PBD Essex. The show is called the Salem Witch Trials Reckoning and Reclaiming, and it's a selection of my portraits, as well as the work of Alexander McQueen, the fashion mm-hmm. designer, who who also was similarly inspired by an ancestor of his who was in the Salem trials and was was one of the first people put to death. And he, in 2007, did uh, a collection in, inspired by this ancestor. So the show is—I'm so proud of it. I'm so happy to be a part of it, and it's also such hallowed halls for me because I grow grew up just outside. Of Boston, not that far from Salem, so I've been mm. going to this museum my whole life. So it's wildly exciting to have that show up, and I hope that your listeners will will visit it if they can. Um, it's up until March twentieth, twenty
0: twenty two. Great, and we'll share the links uh, to uh, to the museum and the exhibit. Um, curious to know what plays this witchcraft, or just the concept of a witch. Occupies in your own life,
1: um it's such a good question. i I have ha- been asked and and thank you for putting it so um subtly. I have had people say, So are you a witch too? And, <laughs> and, and all well and good, but I'm afraid my answer can be sort of disappointing because I you know, I don't see myself as a witch um because for the some sort of simple fact that I don't have a witchcraft practice at all. Mm-hmm, However, mm-hmm. you know, I think that doing this project has given me a new way of looking at the act of photographing as a kind of intuitive mm-hmm. act that is magical. I mean, mm-hmm. it does, when I am in tune with my subject and sort of reading them and listening to them and sort of holding space for them, right? It, it feels like a kind of magic and I can't really write down or tell you exactly how I do what I do because it comes from something so sort of interior mm-hmm. and instinctual. But um, but I think that having sort of immersed myself in this world for so long, I, I do see that as a kind of magic.
0: Mm. And what would you suggest to women who are looking to, you know, reclaim their inner witch or, uh, you know, tap into their, their their inner witch? And even if we're not talking about actual witchcraft, but as you just pointed out, there are elements uh, of uh, the concept of a witch that I think can be quite positive to, to bring and, and quite empowering to bring into our lives.
1: I mean, there are so many wonderful books out there. Um, I mean, there's my book, Major Arcana, <laughs> Portraits of Witches in America. Good place um, to start. Also, yeah, good place to start. If for no other reason than you can see like how many different ways of embodying this word there are, and it could mm-hmm. act hopefully as a kind of portal into this world. But another book that I would um, emphatically tell your listeners to purchase without Waiting is Pam Grossman's book, Wait, Waking the Witch. Mm. Pam is a dear friend now, and she wrote the introduction to mine, and she's just fabulous. And this book is so smart and really looks at this idea of witch from a really contemporary standpoint um, that I think many of your listeners will um, identify with. Mm. So I would definitely point them to that. And then also, when I was sort of starting out, um, Researching witchcraft, contemporary witchcraft, I looked at Margot Adler's book, Drawing Down the Moon. Margot Adler was a the late NPR correspondent. She was also a Wiccan priestess and Mm -hmm. wrote this fabulous book that um, for me as someone who is really, as I said, an outsider to this world, really helped me get the lay of the land in a way that didn't, that didn't feel super, you know, woo woo or, uh, hocus pocusy. Uh, it felt really kind of anthropological almost. And, mm-hmm. um, I really liked that book a lot.
0: And I want to ask you in closing. So, I mean, there might be a link, which is, but it's a question I, I always ask guests on this show. And it's, uh, one that I love hearing, uh, the diversity of answers to, um, is there something you wish women would do less of?
1: Hmm. Probably look at Instagram, right? Or social media, <laughs> especially young, young women. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, this week it's like particularly think, you know, thinking about the ways in which social media, um, let's say the ways in which social media distorts our perceptions of mm-hmm. others and also ourselves can be so damaging. I have a young daughter who's almost four and I dread the day that she asks me, um, for a phone, you know, mm. or, an, or a Facebook account or an Instagram mm. account. Um, so yeah, I would say that. And I'm of course a total hypocrite because I have an Instagram account <laughs> and it's a really important tool Yeah. Um, as a photographer and, and an of artist. Course. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I would say.
0: Well, and it's finding the balance too, right? Because I think using social platforms in the context of promoting our work or mm-hmm. uh, you know doing business development or connecting with our community can have a positive effect, but we're all very aware of the the dark side and the uh, the, the negative impact of of social media. And this was brought to light in in recent weeks, as you just pointed out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. a It's a really important tool. Exactly. But um, exactly, as you're saying, it's important to really examine the ways in which we're using it.
0: Well, we'll need uh, we'll need witches to uh, to work on Facebook.
1: Show us the way. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, and you brought up your daughter. So actually, I'll, I'll squeeze in another question. How how did she react to the witch project? And what is her take on witchcraft and witches? <laughs>
1: You know, it, it. She when she first thought she was a little bit too young to really understand it, but mm-hmm. really in the last six months, she's gotten very hung up on the kind of ageal archetypes of princesses and queens and mothers and. Um, and I've been trying to encourage her to think about the witch as not just the evil character in the fairy tale, right? Yeah. And I'm careful about what what media and what books I show her, but it is. It's such a reminder about how pervasive these old. Tropes and sensibilities are. And it really gives me so much um, energy in thinking about how this project, I think, is so important. And it, and it is so important to sort of complicate the usual characters or tropes that we give our children um, mm-hmm. because those characters are models, right? And so oh, yeah.
0: representation I like matters. The, mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So I like the idea is like, let's not just sideline the witch as like the evil, nasty um, antagonist all the time. She's, she's cool. She's powerful. She gets to do what she wants, but
0: yeah,
1: not, I don't know how much that message is sticking yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think your your book is contributing to you know helping change the narrative on on, on how witches are perceived. So thank you for that, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll link up the the exhibit and and the book as well. Congratulations on your work, and 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 actually, I'm going to squeeze in one last question. I I, I promise mm-hmm. that it's truly the last one. Um, where are you being called, or what are you being called to work on next? Is there was there kind of a you know continuation after, you know, kind of that exploration of the of the feminine and in connection with your family in the first book taking you to witches and do you have any uh, any insights on where the journey is taking you next?
1: You know, it's a bit of a plot twist, but in the winter of 2021 I started writing a screenplay. So, it's not Ooh. a photo project, but mm-hmm. I'm writing a screenplay. I have written a screenplay that is an adaptation um, the story of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, but it's mm-hmm. set in contemporary times. So that's what I've been working on and feel really excited about. So that that's my answer to your question.
0: That that sounds really interesting. I can't wait to hear more and and see where it takes you. Love to love the concept. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Francis. It was great uh, hearing a little bit more about your story. Uh, we'll we'll check out your book and hopefully visit the exhibit. And thank you for the, for your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Ava. It was a pleasure chatting with you.
0: I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, women entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brannies Female. You got it in you to succeed, let TD help guide you. Visit theBranniesFemale.com podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope.